Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Bible says, and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. Verse number 13. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me. For a little while tonight, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to minister this. God sees me. And I wanted to make that personal tonight. I could have called it God sees you. But if you ever go away from here and recall what it was, I wanted you to remember that God sees me. Now, I want you to help me when we pray here this evening. Every once in a while, I feel like the Lord lays something on my heart that goes beyond just uh, preaching, but I believe enters a realm of a different classification that I would call ministry. And I don't know what it may do for people that are sitting in this building tonight. But if it's here or beyond these walls, for those that will hear even in the future, I feel in my spirit that the Lord will minister tonight. Getting on a level in the surface that's below skin deep, so to speak. And so I want you to help me pray that when we pray, that we'll pray to that end. That the Lord causes ministry to happen through the preaching of his word this evening. Father, I come to you this evening. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us, Lord, in this place tonight. I pray, oh God, that you're able to minister, Lord, to each and every mind, each and every heart, and each and every soul. God, I know, Lord, the things that you've had, Lord, me mull over in my mind for about a month now. God, concerning some of the things, Lord, that I am relaying here tonight, God, I pray, Lord, you bring it, Lord, to full fruition by the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord. A month, God, this has been seeping in my spirit. And I pray, oh God, I want to do, Lord Jesus, right and justly by what you've laid upon my spirit tonight. I pray, oh Lord, reach, Lord, into someone's life, someone's ear someone's heart reach lord beyond lord the walls of this assembly god into the homes and families god find them i pray oh lord tonight and will not lord forget to thank you lord for ministering god to us through your word in the lovely name of jesus christ that i pray hallelujah and amen and the church say amen Amen. You may be seated tonight. I don't want to fail to mention we're so happy to have our guests with us tonight. Glad to have Rex back and glad to have Jaden here and glad to have the guests. Uh, amen. Here tonight, Colton. Amen. I'm so appreciative of all of them with us here this evening. God, someone just say that with me. Will you? God sees me. When we look at Genesis chapter 16 and the biblical story leading up to Genesis 16, most scholars, theologians, people that study the Bible uh, deduce and agree that Hagar was 
acquired whenever Abram and Sarai, and I'll probably flip back and forth calling them Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Abram and Sarai was before their names were changed, but we typically know them as Abraham and Sarah. But Hagar was acquired when Abraham and Sarah went down, the Bible says, into Egypt. They had left the Ur of Chaldees as the Lord had prescribed for Abraham and his family. They had headed toward Canaan and they had no sooner touched their feet in the land of Canaan that there was a gross famine in the land. And as a result of that, they went down into Egypt. And as they went down into Egypt, Abraham is having a conversation with Sarah. He says, when we go down into Egypt, he said, the people are going to look upon you. The Egyptians are going to look upon you. You're going to find favor in their eyes because you're a very beautiful woman. You're a very beautiful woman. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that she was very fair. And he says, as a result of that, if they know you you to be my wife and I'm your husband, they'll just see me as an obstacle in order to get to you. They'll, They'll just slay me. They'll kill me. He says, but if we go down into Egypt and you tell them that you are my sister, which she was, his half-sister if you tell them that you are my sister they'll see me as a brother to you and they'll treat me well for your sake they'll treat me well in such a way uh, of trying to get to you desiring you they'll treat me in a good way and so Sarah went down into Egypt under the guise of being Abraham's sister in order to protect her brother or more intimately in order to protect her husband. Again, she was very fair. She was a beautiful woman. The Bible, make no mistake about it, I've told you before, if the Bible said that someone was beautiful or fair, they had to be something else. I mean, the Lord isn't just going to waste words. They, they are very fair. And as a result of this, when they went down to Egypt, Pharaoh then, his eye was caught by this fairness of Sarah. And he had her brought into his house. He had her brought into his palace. And just as Abraham had thought, as a result of bringing Sarah into Pharaoh's house, then Abraham was treated very kindly. Abraham was treated and lavished with many goods and many riches. He was treated royally because he was he was. He was there as the brother, if you will, unto Sarah. And he was being treated as a brother should be treated whenever one is interested in his sister, when somebody is interested in desiring his sister. However, the Bible speaks to us again that Sarah, of course, had a more intimate role. She was literally Abraham's wife. And as a result of this, the Lord knew the playing out of all these events. As a result of this, the Lord plagued the house of Pharaoh because Pharaoh had taken another man's wife. And whenever Pharaoh learned of all the truth and the ins and outs of the matter of Sarah being both a half-sister and a wife to Abraham, the Bible says that Pharaoh says, you all just go and get out of here. He sent them on their way. He didn't want to have anything to do with that or with them, especially because this plague that was brought upon his household. And according to some of the Jewish writings of the Midrash, they even say, amen, that Hagar was the the daughter of King Pharaoh of Egypt. They even say that whenever Hagar saw the miracle which God performed for Sarah of bringing the plague upon the household of Pharaoh, amen, in order to save her from the hands of the Egyptian's king, that the Bible, that the Midrash tells us these Jewish writings say that Hagar spoke in herself and then said it would be better to be a slave in Sarah's house 
than a princess in my own. And so there's a couple of narratives there, whether she was a slave before in Egypt and was still a slave unto Sarah, or whether she was the princess of Egypt and became the slave of Sarah. Nonetheless, what we know confidently, absolutely from Scripture is this, is that Hagar was an Egyptian. And whether she was a slave before she came into Sarah's household or not, after she came into Sarah's household, she did become a maid. She became what the Bible describes as a handmaid to Sarah, which in essence means this to you and I, that Hagar was a female slave of sorts unto Sarah. The Hebrew word that describes her initial slavery unto Sarah indicates that she She was then a non-Jewish female slave. She was a slave according to the Hebrew word that would be expected to perform difficult tasks and menial tasks, some of the lower level of tasks. That particular word that indicates that she was a handmaid or slave is derived from a root word in the Hebrew that specifically refers to this this position and this placement of being a slave as a extra appendage which is attached to something else. In other words, Hagar's role was the role of being like an extra appendage to an otherwise complete faculty of a family of Abraham and Sarah and their household. She's extra. In other words, she's not necessary. She's just supplement supplementary she's she's not essential it's, it's kind of like Hagar is is kind of a you can take it or leave it type of individual Hagar is she's she's an option you can either have or you can discard in many ways Hagar just really didn't matter See, being a slave, Hagar, as we would even know, even slavery throughout time, being a slave, Hagar had no say in what happened to her. She had no say in where she was sent. She had no say particularly in the duties that were uh, uh, ascribed to her that she was asked or even maybe told to do. As, As the culture of the people was, Hagar even did not have any say so over her own sexual relations or activities they were controlled by Sarah they were controlled by her mistress whatever she said that is what went and so with that being in mind we must understand that Hagar as a extra appendage Hagar as a person serving in a home that she had no control over her own life feeling non-essential as though she didn't matter there must have been times along the way in the years of serving in that household as a slave that she must have felt loss. She must have felt disconnected, amen, from what she may have known, amen, earlier in her life. She must have felt taken for granted. She must have felt disenfranchised or maybe she even felt at times in the household even of Abraham and Sarah serving as a slave, feeling unimportant, feeling as though she was invisible. She's physically present but she don't really matter. She's physically there. She does things and has activities but she 
she's just an extra appendage over here. She really, amen, doesn't bring anything to the family. They are complete as they are. She's just a side dish over here. She's, she's just over here in, in the recesses, if you will, feeling perhaps taken for granted, feeling invisible, feeling unimportant. She's just a handmaid to Sarah. Amen. And yet there may have been times as a slave that she had been admonished not to speak unless she was spoken to. She may have been admonished not to call attention to herself because you're just to be over here in the shadows. There's really no limelight. There's really no attention that needs to be given to you. You can be physically here, but don't let your presence be known. You're not to be seen. You're not to be heard. You're not even to be thought of. Just go about your way doing what we have commanded of you and let that be your role in life. However, as Sarah's handmaiden, the Bible speaks to us that she, Hagar, was invited into a very fragile situation. She was invited into a very serious situation. Amen. Told even. Again, she had no control over her own intimate activities. It was, if you will, at the discretion of Sarah. And so here she is invited into a situation. Sarah was barren. Sarah could not have children. They had been in Canaan now for over 10 years and she was incapable of producing any child unto Abraham. And so now Hagar, that, that no matter extra appendage lady was put then in a place that she was told she was to have relations with Abraham and bear a son, bear a child unto Sarah's name. So here we have Hagar once again. She's a slave. She has no control over what's going on. Going on. She has no control over the fact that she's been told you'll have relations with this man and you'll bear a child for the purpose of their family which is seemingly complete without you but now you've invited me in into a delicate situation into a fragile situation Sarah you're barren time is against you Sarah after 10 years you could not produce no child for your husband but now you're asking the extra that don't matter not if you're there not if you're not there into the circumstance into the situation and so Hagar comes in she's fulfilling the role that Sarah was incapable of fulfilling with Abraham amen Hagar comes in and she's providing a womb for a child to grow for a child to be nurtured for a child to be cared for as a human being she's been she's been subjected to some difficult times she's done menial tasks she's done difficult circumstances she's always been viewed as extra unnecessary appendage but now she's asked to have have relations with Abraham and now something's grown in her womb and now she must have felt just a little proud that she was needed I'm saying someone that was extra now has gotten to a role of, of being a wife of sorts unto Abraham she must have felt a little bit of value come back in her life Sarah looks at her and sees her as displeasing toward her but really what it was was a woman that felt separated disenfranchised feeling a little value come back in her life because of what she was capable amen 
Sarah says, nah, Abraham, we need to have a conversation because this handmaid, this slave, this extra appendage, this one that does menial tasks, since we've invited her into the scenario, amen, she is despising me. She's being spiteful toward me. And no doubt Sarah, being a woman herself with barrenness, has her own sense of insecurities in her life. But maybe she felt as though Hagar was trying to claim equality with her now. But in reality, folks, I just seem to feel and believe that Hagar just found a little appreciation in being able to do the task and the deed that was required of her because by and large, she had nothing else that she could throw any acclaim to in her life. And this was like the one thing. Someone say amen. She consults with Abraham about what she's sensing Sarah does from Hagar. And the Bible records in Genesis 16 and verse 6, but Abram said unto Sarai, he says, behold thy maid, because again, Hagar, the belonging of Hagar was to Sarah. He says, behold, thy, thy maid is in thine hand. I know you've told me the dilemma that you think's going on. The scenario here, he said, but thy maid Hagar is in your hand. Go on and do with her as it pleaseth thee. And the Bible says when Sarai and when Sarai dealt hardly with her, that she, Hagar, fled from her face. Amen. Hagar again belongs into Sarah. Her relations is determined by what Sarah says. What she does is determined by what Sarah says. And Abraham says, Sarah, it's up to you what you want to do with her. And so the Bible describes to us that rather than Sarah just telling Hagar to go, that she mistreated her. She dealt with her hardly, the Bible says. Amen. She mistreated her after she's just done this role unto Sarah and Abraham of providing a womb for their child. Amen. To grow. She's mistreated. Hagar does as she is told, but Sarah misunderstands how Hagar feels. Hagar's been obedient to the voice. She's been obedient to the word, but she's not understood in how she feels. And the translations of that last phrase of verse six, they are sundry, they are many, that Sarah dealt hardly with Hagar. It meant this, that she dealt harshly with Hagar. Sarah dealt cruelly with Hagar. She oppressed her. She afflicted her. She mistreated her in some way. Can someone say amen? Mr. Bruce, amen, Fist says this. He says, Sarah began oppressing Hagar, mistreating her and abusing her. If Sarah couldn't send her slave away, amen, which seems to be an old Babylonian code or law that prevented that from happening, he said then she was gonna at least make things so ugly and so difficult and so tense that Hagar, the slave girl, would just run away and leave on her own. Say amen. Hagar. She's being mistreated in many ways for what she had been asked to do. She's probably a little disillusioned by her set of circumstances at this point. 
I've been a slave of Egypt as one narrative may be or a princess of Egypt as another narrative may be. Nonetheless, I have been one or the other and I have become a slave to another, Sarah. She has separated me. They have separated me from my native home. Egypt was home. They have separated me from my home. I've been separated from my family. I've come to live with them, to serve them, to be a slave to them. I don't have any personal possessions. I don't have anything that I can call my own. And now the one thing that I'm, I feel like maybe I have a little part ownership to and a little bit of responsibility for that's growing in my womb, they're, they're looking at me and saying I'm despising them and I'm being spiteful because of this one thing that I think I might have a contribution to. Someone say amen. And so Hagar's life at this moment with that baby growing in her womb, note very well, ladies and gentlemen, her life becoming a slave to Abraham and Sarah and what has happened now with a child in her womb, it is now irreversibly altered. Her future is looking bleak. Hagar in many regards, ladies and gentlemen, is reaching a breaking point. In her life, with all of this, the Bible says, with the mistreatment, the abuse, whatever harshly and cruelly means in all of those terms, with all of this, the Bible says that Hagar fled from Sarai into the wilderness of Shur. And the wilderness of Shur appears to be located just east of Egypt in the northern Sinai Peninsula. And so as Hagar runs into the wilderness of Shur and gets to this particular location, we understand that Hagar is turning her steps back toward her native land. Hagar is turning her steps back toward Egypt, the country that she had traveled. I'd done some reading on it. The country and the terrain that Shagar would have traveled would have been quite fearsome, having eroded hills, looking like just bare bones in an arid landscape. Amen. That was just constantly tormented by a constant wind that would blow across that desert. And here is a mother with child in her womb that's traveling across this path, going back to Egypt because she did not feel. Amen. Welcome in the house of Abraham and Sarah. And in her desperation, she's walking toward Egypt. The one place that didn't want her to begin with or it wouldn't have given her away. Or if you subscribe to the other narrative, she's going back to the place that she left as a princess, believing that servanthood in Abraham and Sarah's house would have been better than what she had. So she's gone back to something that she thought was less than what she did have. Is everybody doing all right? Hallelujah. And she nearly made it. She's just east of Egypt. She nearly made it to Egypt. Here is a single, young, pregnant, Woman, powerless, asked to build up a, up a family of Abraham and Sarah that she was a servant to. Build up the family that you're a servant to. 
And somewhere between the seclusion of the desert and the mistreatment and the abuse of the city is Hagar finding herself, the Bible says, at a fountain of water in a well in a wilderness desert place. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. The angel of the Lord found her where she found herself. Genesis 16, if I can read to you again, verses 7 and 8. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. By the fountain in the way to sure. And the angel said, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? And whether wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. The angel asked her two very simple questions, but there's something in the questions. He says, where did you come from? And where are you going? In the moment, in the asking of just two simple questions, the angel of the Lord is not just challenging Hagar's past, but he is putting in question her future. He said, where are you coming from? And where are you going? In that solitary moment, the angel of the Lord was questioning Hagar's simple existence. What about your past? What about your future? Hagar, are you going back to where you came from? Hagar, are you going back to your native land of Egypt? You've been mistreated, I know, in Sarah's house, sure, but Egypt must not have been all it was cracked up to be either because you were sold or you left by your own volition from there as well. And presently, you're right in the middle of a wilderness. Presently, you're right here in the middle of a desert. And so you left Egypt because something wasn't all that it was supposed to be. You have left the house of Abraham and Sarah because it's not all it's supposed to be. And now you find yourself in the desert and the wilderness. And I'm sure you're believing right now, this isn't what it's all cracked up to be either. And the angel of the Lord begins to relay some instructions to Hagar and begins to describe unto her these instructions and begins to tell her and describe to her what type of character her offspring would be and what his name, Ishmael, his name Ishmael should be, amen, unto this child. And then out of nowhere it would seem like basically right here smack dab in this speck of an oasis. The angel of the Lord tells her, Hagar, this extra appendage does not matter invisible unimportant slave this basically that the Lord has heard all of your misery in your life and in that moment the angel of the Lord recognizes this angelic being as being the Lord himself in some manifestation and she cries out in verse 13 and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth 
me. In other words, there's something that came over Hagar in this moment. There was a recognition. There was a identification. There was a discovery that she found in the middle of the wilderness in the desert between the city of abuse, amen, and the old Egypt that didn't necessarily, amen, mean everything that it should or it could have meant, amen, to a native of that place. Right here in this middle spot of feeling alone, feeling unimportant, a sense of relief no doubt overcomes Hagar, amen. Her feelings are beginning to be allayed about not matter about people telling her or insinuating or acting in such a way that she did not matter. There came a soothing over her life. Amen. Because the feelings that she used to have about what she did not mattering, whether she lived or died not mattering. Well, whether she served or didn't serve whether she was a part of their family or not part of the family not mattering all of that in a moment was silenced all of that in a moment peace came on her and there was a reassurance because she heard the voice of the Lord through this angelic manifestation and she cries out God you are the God who sees me God sees me I've been told to not be heard I've been told I can be physically there and unseen that God has arrived in this desert on this moment to tell me that God sees me. I'm trying to preach to somebody here or in the world or that will hear this someday. You might be in a place, in a position that you feel down and despondent and forsaken and forgotten and isolated and abandoned. You might feel like you're in your desert place and the only consolation you have is a fountain of water there. I'm here to tell you there's a discovery at the well that when you thought no one knew you was there and you didn't matter and nobody cared and your service was not appreciated, God sees you. When the ideas are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm there at the church or if I'm not there at the church. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. I'm in the shadows. I'm on the peripheral. They won't notice if I'm there or not there. I'm just an extra. I'm just an extra appendage. I'm just here over here doing my service and my part, but I'm invisible, although I'm in front of all the eyes. I'm here to tell you right now that if the pastor never recognizes you, if I never sign in the church ever recognizes you, I want you to know this, that God sees you. He sees you in your misery. He sees you in your doubts. He sees... God sees you. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. She's seen me, Hagar says. She suffered a lot of events in her life, all along her life's journey, by which most of which were out of her control. Many of the things that she suffered, many of the tasks that she did were beyond 
her control. But I'm here to tell you, God saw her. Just as God saw the disciples going across the Sea of Galilee, toiling in their rowing, God saw them from the land and they weren't aware of it. God seen her. Just as Jesus saw a blind man that didn't have the physical ability to see Jesus himself, God saw her. Just as Job walking through his trial, walking through the muck and the mire of his life, who looked on his left hand and could not perceive God, and on the right hand and could not find him in front of him or back of him, exclaimed this, I know in whom I know the Lord, and he knows the way that I take, and the path, you know what he's saying, God, He sees the Nathaniels under their fig trees. He's seen the nation of Israel polluted in their own blood as Isaiah describes. And the old song in biblical words says, his eye is upon the sparrow. God sees you. Someone say amen. Both Abraham and Sarah in the scripture only referred to Hagar here in chapter 16 only referred to Hagar as my maid or thy maid it's very impersonal isn't it she has a name but it's always thy maid it's always my maid it's impersonal I guess it, some would say well it should be impersonal with them Hagar's a slave. Hagar's a servant. But it's very impersonal. She's, she's known as property. She's known as an object. She's known as a title and a label. She's known and seen for what she can do. She's known and seen for what she can do. If I'd say it like this tonight, folks, it was easier to label Hagar than it was to see the humanity of Hagar. There may be someone, I'm telling you, God has moved upon me for a month, seeping things into my spirit. I believe that there are people in the world, perhaps even in this church, hallelujah, that you are just seeing it would seem, and the feelings and the thoughts enter in your mind for just what, what you can do. You're isolated, you're, you're, you're over in the shadows just for what you can do. Nobody can just see you for the humanity and the experience that your humanity is experiencing. Look, though, again at verse 8. When heaven addressed her, the Bible says, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. What are you saying, Pastor McGee? I'm saying this, that before the angel of the Lord called her Sarah's maid, he addressed her by her name. Someone say amen. Hagar. And I need to tell somebody tonight in audience or in person online that we serve a very personal God. You are not regulated 
are necessarily known by what you can do. You are not necessarily regulated by what society or the church would normally label you. But God sees you and God knows you and God understands your circumstances and he sees your humanity and he knows your name. Someone say amen. He will walk with you. He will talk with you. He will comfort you. He will counsel you. And no fire can burn you. And no battle can turn you. No mountain can stop you. Because he knows your God sees me. Someone say glory. There's something that we must glean from the word of the Lord. She's in a wilderness in a desert place. She's an Egyptian. She's a slave. She has an angelic heavenly visitation. And there seems to be no indication in scripture that she's startled or afraid by the fact that the angel of the Lord has showed up. Or that she has any interaction as it would be with the angel of the Lord. Everybody walk with here with me for a moment. Because quite interesting to me is this. Remember, she's always been in the shadows of Abraham and Sarah's house. Served there unappreciated, underappreciated. Always served in the shadows. And what we do have biblical record of concerning Abraham and Sarah from the moment that they ever went down into Egypt and came out when they first entered Canaan and quite possibly acquired Hagar, we have from that point forward several upon several angelic visitations to Abraham and Sarah at different times. And all the while, as an angel would come down to talk to Sarah about giving birth to a son, or three angels coming to Abraham telling what they're going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, over in the recesses in the shadows, is the extra appendage that's just observing angelic visitation the words of God spoken to Sarah the words of God spoken to Abraham and so when an angel shows up she's not startled you have other places in scripture like Manoah which is Samson's mother and judges whenever the angel Lord shows up to her she's a little bit frazzled She's a little bit overwhelmed by the occurrence because she didn't have regular angelic visitations. But Hagar, when this happens in the wilderness, she's not startled. She's not afraid because she has been around the divine. She's been around the angelic in the house of Sarah and Abraham. The angels were always coming to them as she was just an observer that could be there, couldn't be there, unimportant on the side of the wall and so when the angel of the Lord shows up she is not startled but there's a change in everything in this moment someone say amen because every other time she's observed angelic visitation it was for somebody else 
Every other time she's heard the promises of God flow, it was either on Abraham and on Sarah, and all she was an observer in the shadows of what God was doing for somebody else. But in this desert place, Brother Fred, Abraham's not there right now. Sarah's not there right now. Another individual isn't there right now. It's just a lonely woman that's pregnant with a child in the middle of the desert. And when she has this visitation, she knew the promise wasn't for that one. Or that ma'am or that sir God has showed up just for me the heaven has come down just for me God sees someone say amen always talking to Abraham always talking to Sarah but now she pauses. There's one that's talking to me. I'm usually observing. I'm usually in the shadows. I'm usually overhearing. But what this angel has to say is not for me to overhear. He wants me to hear plainly, face to face, that Hagar, this is for you. She's not afraid. She's not startled. But she's all in the moment that in a desert wilderness place, God has come down, seen her plight, seen her condition, seen her circumstances. I hope you are, at this point, I hope you're grabbing a hold of There's nothing else in this location that could compel God to come except this woman. There's nothing else. There's not the great father Abraham of the Jews. No, no, no. It's only this woman. It's one thing to witness the spillover effect when he comes into a service and we're all gathered here. We testify, well, that's got to be because all oh, that godly person over there, this one over here, and I'm just over in the recesses kind of, you know. The fire was built. I'm participating in it, but I really have nothing to do with it. I'm just, you know, being able to enjoy what's taking place because of somebody else. But there's nothing else that's compelled this visitation except this what would be considered in her own mind unimportant attachment. Menial servant girl who's misunderstood even for having a little bit of hope because she finally felt like she made a contribution what was truly hers. Verse 13 read in the New International Version reads like this, a part of it. When Hagar speaks, she says, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. In other words, my life has been lived as one that had no control over. She says, but you see me. I've been mistreated and abused cruelly for the results of my obedience. But you have seen me. I ran away to, to cling just to a small spring in a desert place. But God, you, you see me. I thought I wasn't essential. I thought I wasn't essential, that I didn't matter. But now I know I am essential 
Because you visited me out here where there wasn't anyone else here to visit except me. <laughs> when God spoke to her concerning her offspring, he told her the character of child that she would have, that he would be something else. But the fact remains this, and please follow me very carefully here. But the fact remains this, that Hagar gave Abraham, a son. Listen to me now. And you cannot give something you do not own or have. Whew. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. A slave girl gave. She owns nothing. All her life, or at least part of her life, She's the one that's been owned. She owns nothing. She has been considered a, pos a possession herself. But in this moment, she will give something. How in the world can a slave girl give? Because God sees. Because God sees her. You know, the descendants of Ishmael were many. Listen to me. They were many. You know why? Because of her association and her attachment to Abraham. When God said in Genesis 12 that Abraham, your descendants will be many as the stars of the sky, our mind always goes to Isaac, and that is true. The 12 tribes of Israel. But there, I believe, if you look at Scripture, there were 12 nations that even came from Ishmael. And that's only because of her association with being obedient as a wife unto Abraham. And as a result of all this, a slave girl could give. And that which came from her womb, he said, should be called Ishmael, which means God hears. A lady that had no voice, had no say-so, had no volume to speak of in the household. God will allow the product and the offspring, the descendant of her womb, to mean that God hears. That when you was in the shadow, God heard. And when the thoughts ran through your mind, God heard. And as you had the ponderings of your heart, God God heard. She would name then the Lord in this area, this fount that she was at. Amen. Having the meaning of this. The well of the living one that sees me. Or basically, God who sees. Hagar, come to this moment. Amen. That I am not what I thought I was. And I am not what other people tried to make me as. God sees me and knows me. Amen. She was a servant and yet she gave. Can I tell you here? this evening that we read the scripture of the word that is really just one story from beginning and end. It is the story of redemption. It is the story of how God came down in the form of the man Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ in his earthly time upon this earth was a servant. Can I tell you that in many similarities like Hagar he was at the mercy of the people. Like Hagar he was in circumstances that is humanity 
authority had no control over. Like Hagar, they had stripped him of his dignity, had stripped him of his worth. They had stripped him of his clothes. They had afflicted him and abused him and mistreated him harshly. The Bible says that his visage was marred more than any other earthly man. The Bible says that this poor amen, boy born in a manger in Bethlehem gave the only thing that someone of his status could give and that was life just like Hagar. Hagar gave life to the family of Abraham and Sarah that God through Christ Jesus gave his only begotten son and that life was a ransom for every single one of us and although Jesus, his humanity felt forsaken on the cross God saw him just as God saw Hagar just as God sees you if you can stand with me right now I'm desiring to convey here tonight with the help of the Holy Ghost is that just like Hagar, we must come to terms and we must realize that heaven doesn't just come down and heaven just doesn't stoop for those that you may classify as super spiritual, for just the Abrahams and the Sarahs. No. Heaven descends, hears, and sees the Hagars too. We all got to recognize tonight that all those times that we've seen God, listen to me, seemingly working for somebody else, seemingly visiting other people's lives, all of these times we must recognize that he also works in our lives just the same. He sees us. And when you don't feel like you have anything to offer, you don't feel like you have anything to give because you feel like life has stripped it all away from you. Right? Life has stripped it all away from you. I'm telling you this, you can still give life. Particularly your own, yes. But even if you have any say so of the lives of those that are under your care. You're not just in the shadows. You're not unseen. You're not unheard of. Even though it may profoundly feel that way. God sees you. We close our eyes all across this sanctuary tonight. I've asked Brother Alex to sing and play a particular song here tonight. One that some may have heard. It's been, never been sung in this sanctuary before. It's called Yours to Hold. It's basically just a storyline of this, of someone that's going through a very difficult and a hard time. And a conversation that God is having in the heavenlies as he's seeing the difficulty of this person's trial and hard time. He's basically telling them, I'm yours to hold. Problems that they're going through, the difficulty, the insecurity, the invisibility that they feel like they are, he's telling them, I'm yours to hold. He basically lets them know. He says, 
I'm there and I'm here just waiting. Just waiting to be realized by you. And when you're ready, I want you to know that I'm here. Why? Because he's a God that sees us. Even the Hagars. Keep your eyes closed tonight. These altars are open. If as he sings, you can listen to the lyrics. I don't know if the lyrics are going to be on the screen or not. They will be if you want to see them to know exactly what is being said. But I'm praying tonight that if this has somehow touched the core of your spirit in any way, that you would come to the Lord and just exclaim to him, I see the God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.